there, I'm John Collins and welcome to Inside Intercom. Over the last couple of months, we've been featuring talks from our Inside Intercom World Tour when we hosted events and met with folks around the globe to talk candidly about the failures and successes behind our company's growth. This week, we're featuring Greg Davis, our group product marketing manager who joined the company in 2015. At his World Tour talk in Sydney, he characterised his role as making sure Intercom and our products grow and don't die. Now, that might come across as a little grim, especially for a company that was actually growing at a good clip and seemed to have found its product market fit. But in the world of SaaS, where companies innovate rapidly and customer expectations are constantly changing, it just takes one click for people to switch products. So getting to product market fit doesn't mean the job is done. Hear Greg tell the story of when he started to notice the cracks in our own product market fit and how in fact he came to realize the shortcomings with the whole idea of product market fit. He outlines three things that teams at growing companies need to be aware of. First, product market fit is not a moat that will protect you from a changing market. Two, getting product market fit doesn't mean you'll be a fit for the whole market. And three, no one is going to switch to your product if you're simply a copy of what already exists out there. If you enjoyed this talk and would like to hear past ones, head over to iTunes or Spotify to find our archives. But for now, here's Greg and his World Tour talk in Sydney. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. All right. Well, I'm Greg and I work on our product marketing team and I'm responsible for marketing our suite of support products. And so I've been thinking a lot about death recently. I thought this would be a good topic for tonight, you know, something, a concern we all share. And now admittedly, this is a pretty bleak starting point for this talk, but I promise I'm actually not down. Uh, it didn't come all this way just to bum me out either. Actually, it's kind of quite the opposite. See, I want to make sure Intercom and our support products grow and they don't die. And many smart people believe that the single most important thing you can do to ensure that your products do thrive is get product market fit. They actually think it's the single most important thing that your company can do full stop. And they also believe that when companies and when products die, it's because they couldn't get product market fit or they had it and lost it. At least that's what all the medium posts and TED Talks and best-selling books suggest on this topic. So we thought we should probably learn more. Uh, and that's something we've done in depth over the past year or so. So most of you are probably pretty familiar with the term product market fit. If you work in tech, it was coined by Mark Andreessen. And he defined it as being in a good market with a product that can satisfy that market. Uh, not a lot to go on there. But at a high level, it, it, it totally makes sense. Like, if, you wanna, if you're starting a company and you want to put yourself in the best possible position to succeed, like, yeah, pick a big market. There's more opportunity. There's more room for error. And then also your product needs to solve a particular problem or else no one's going to adopt it in the first place. But going even further, uh, Andy Rackliff, the CEO of Wealthfront, who teaches courses on this topic at Stanford, he says that once a company's got product market fit, even if someone comes along with a better or less expensive product, it's going to be hard to dislodge them. So that's, that's pretty freaking bold. And while admittedly this is a very self-serving and cherry-picked quote on the topic, I do feel like it's actually pretty representative of most of the reading I've done. 
people think product market fit is some like mythical or magical thing. It's like on par with like business enlightenment. So like back to our situation, like why was I thinking about death in the first place? You know, like Intercom's doing pretty good. We've got this sweet tour. We have 20,000 customers and we're still growing rapidly. So like what's with all the doom and gloom? Well, actually at the beginning of last year, we were starting to see some troubling patterns with our support products. And they were that our current customers, who are like largely smaller customers, uh, were regularly asking for the same features over and over and over again. We had another segment of customers who were small, and they'd actually grown into larger successful businesses, exactly what we all want. And then they were ditching us for our upmarket competition, which sucks. And then lastly, our support team. Uh, poor Sharon and Jeff. They were having to hack our products just to be able to support our 20,000 customers. So these are all symptoms of some sort of illness, some sort of problem, but what do we need to do to address them? Well, we tried to apply like, a lot of our learnings about product market fit to these issues, and we found some myths, and also a notable thing that everyone seems to leave out of this discussion, and I want to chat with you a bit about that. So the first myth is that product market fit is some sort of moat, some type of force field that's going to protect you from your competition. And I totally disagree with Andy Ratcliffe on this point. Markets are constantly changing, especially if you work in tech. And having product market fit isn't going to stop that from happening. You need to be like a shark. You can't stop moving. If you stop, you'll get eaten and you will die. This might not happen immediately, but I promise it will happen. And so last year, we were a clear fit for smaller customers. And we defined smaller customers as having 50 people or fewer. And those people made up the majority of our customers. More than 99% fit this description. But we're hearing the same problems over and over and over again. And this is a really important signal, something that we had to take really seriously, because the fear was the expectations of our market were changing. And if you work in SaaS, this should be extra freaking scary, because switching products is so easy. And so for us, listening to our customers, tagging, aggregating their feedback, is our best tool for keeping a pulse on our product's fit. And every quarter, our research team conducts this thing called the Customer Voice Report, where we see all of our most requested features stacked rank. And then we can reference them against older reports to identify patterns. And if we let these problems become patterns and turn to customer frustration, they would only grow and get worse. Eventually, they would stop looking to us and start looking to our competition for a solution. And failure to see this cycle happening is exactly what kills established companies. The fact that we once had a fit, maybe even still do, it's not going to stop the cycle from happening. So Brian Balfour, a, a former uh, entrepreneur in residence at Trinity Ventures, had a great quote on this. He said, it's actually really fortunate for startups that this happens. The companies, larger companies lose sight of this never-ending process, and they either don't move with their markets, or as they expand, they just assume they have fit. And this is what leads to them launching products that fail. And this is what creates an opportunity for startups to exist like us in the first place. And history supports this too. There are so many examples of companies that once had a stranglehold on their market that are now absolutely dead and gone. The markets they served, still there, still big. But they were eaten because they stopped innovating and stood still. Like, you guys remember Blockbuster? Started in 1985, undisputed video rental leader by 92, 
IPO'd in 99. 9,000 stores around the world in 2004. 2010, dead. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Here comes the internet, iTunes, Netflix. And the story goes that Reed Hastings actually decided to create Netflix after getting a $40 late fee for a movie. And I remember getting gouged by those bastards too. Your customers' problems will not age well. So the takeaway here is product market fit, it's not a moat, it's temporary. You need to constantly be looking for signs that your market is changing. And the best way we found to do that is to regularly survey our customers, track this feedback, and uh, look at it over time and it's changing. And if you aren't doing this today in a structured way, I would personally make it a priority. So the next myth is that getting product market fit means you're gonna be a fit for this whole huge market. So going back to like Mark Andreessen, he basically said a good market's one that's big and the one that adopts your product fast. And this is once again, too vague to be useful for me at least. And particularly for those of us who haven't invented a whole new dominant platform like web browsing, this is not going to work. For mere mortals like us, and hopefully, or probably most of you, I'd suggest starting by focusing on a niche for two reasons. One, huge markets are daunting, and focus is just key to being effective. Two, deeply understanding your market is key to providing the right solutions. And even in a big market, there are distinct tiers of customers, and each of them have their own unique needs. And so in our situation, once again, we were fit for smaller customers that wanted a more personal way to help their customers out. But at a certain scale, we completely freaking broke. And we can see this both by those successful customers leaving us and also our support team having to hack our products. And as a result of our 16,000 customers, support customers that own our Respond product, only 400 of those met our definition of a larger business, 50 or more people. And if we were going to keep customers like this and even expand and establish a new, like, we'd need to establish a new fit. And being honest with ourselves, it totally made sense why we broke. We lacked a bunch of the things that larger businesses needed. Like, for example, these are businesses that had worked for years and through a uh, process of experimentation, they developed the processes that worked for their particular business. And we lacked even the most basic workflow flexibility to allow them to match these processes to our product. And we lacked other things too, like advanced reporting, it's now a little bit better, and things like uh, permissions, because bigger customers need these things. And some of these gaps, they showed up in our customer voice report. Others were surfaced by doing research with upmarket customers to figure out what they looked for when they were evaluating a new tool. And then right now, we're in the process of thoughtfully and incrementally trying to, to move our product up market and establish this fit with a new segment of customers. And while maintaining our fit with our smaller customers too, because they're really important. And while we aren't starting from absolute scratch, we really had to look at this like we were starting over again, because that's what you're really doing when you're moving from one of these, from one segment to another. And once again, our situation is absolutely not unique. There are many examples of using this niche to win strategy. Like for example, in the email marketing space alone, there are currently three different companies with roughly a $2 billion valuation. There's Marketo that services the enterprise, there's HubSpot that's really good in the mid-market, and there's MailChimp, which is usually used by smaller to medium-sized businesses. And they all saw the exact same freaking job to be done, but they just do it for a different segment of customer really well. 
So the takeaway here is product market fit, it's usually narrow within a larger market. When you're first trying to establish it, look for underserved groups within this larger market. And when you're trying to expand your fit, like us, you can't assume your product market fit is from one tier of customers just is going to apply to another. Trying to serve everyone in a market, boiling the ocean, or assuming your fit is some sort of transferable property is likely to lead you to produce products that ultimately fail. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is this thing I didn't see in most of the reading I've done on product market fit. It's, and I think it's really, really critical. I think to get you know, fit with, within a market, you need a unique and authentic opinion. Because unless you're building a product that creates an entirely new market, which is the exception, then you have to displace some competitor to get it. And no one's going to switch to your product if you're a copy of what's already exists in the world. You need to find a unique opinion that resonates with some unmet need this market has. For example, Jeff shared one of ours earlier. Like, we believe that uh, support should center around the conversation and not the ticket. And like developing our opinion was painful. It's something that we really struggled with for like months. Like we had a lot of great information that could point us directionally where we needed to go and what we needed to build, like the, the customer voice report, the upmarket research. And frankly, we could just go online and look at what our competitors offered. But those inputs are not enough and they wouldn't alone differentiate us. They would just get us to some like baseline acceptable product. And that would just make us look like everyone else. And looking like everyone else is not good. It's really bad for your business because the only differentiator you can then compete on is price, and that's a really crappy place to be. So we knew that our opinion about upmarket support, it had to be an authentic extension of Intercom. Make communication business personal. It needed to address a key problem for our upmarket customers or else they just wouldn't use us. And it needed to be different. And the aha moment for us came actually at a, a dinner in Dublin a few months back. Me, 
Brian, our, our lovely host tonight, and also the next presenter. A few other folks, and Sharon. Sharon invited two of her good friends uh, who are support leads at some very large, well-known, respected tech companies. And we were having this like casual dinner where basically we gave them free food and booze and just for carte blanche, just pepper them with questions. And we were just asking them anything we could think of trying to uncover anything they thought was wrong with their product. Just anything that we could exploit and hopefully beat them at. And we got nowhere. Like they were largely happy with their products. At least they, they never even thought about switching. And they thought their tools were just fine. And we're getting towards the end of the dinner and we were like, oh shit. So we decided to throw a whole, like a Hail Mary and ask a totally different type of question. And it was something about the support role more broadly. It was something like, hey, we've heard support is hard. Can you tell us more about that? And then the floodgates just swung open. We learned a lot of interesting stuff. It's not uncommon that they have to leave their desks to cry during the day. That one of these companies actually supplied them coloring books so that when they got up to decompress, they could color and regain their composure. Adults, coloring. Another thing we learned is that they're tracked, uh, like basically they're hired or fired, promoted, whatever, based on metrics that they have no real-time insight into. Like This is the core of their career. And in one instance, one of the companies gave them like handheld clickers, like, you know, like at a fair in a line to be like how many people there are, to track how many calls they were making in a day. That sucks. And also they could do things like they gravitate towards uh, user groups and special projects, which basically take them away from the job of actually supporting their customers. So this dinner made a lot of things click for us it kind of made sense now that people often leave support jobs 2x the rate of any other role at an organization. The emotional toll of this job was leading to churn. And churn is a big problem for companies, both small and large, actually, because hiring, training is time-consuming. It's expensive, slow. It also has a negative impact on customer experience because you're often losing your most tenured folks. And these are the fully ramped people that can provide the right answers so it can hurt customer experience as well. So our product needed to be different. We need to focus on motivating the people working eight hours a day in our tool. And strangely, this was also not a message that we were seeing in the market. Our competition was really focused on things like automating tasks, uh, improving efficiency and processes. And these are important things. But in our opinion, they're not more important than having empathy for the users that work all day in our tools. So by learning about the agents' lives outside of our tools was how we discovered our opinion and how we were going to be different. Our job was to make support product that would help fix this morale problem and help motivate people working all day in our product at a hard job. So I wanted to show you our first test of this opinion. It's an, only an itty-bitty baby feature that delivers on our opinion about what upmarket support could or should be. So this feature lets you measure the quality of support by sending a survey once the conversation is closed. This is nothing new. Everyone freaking does this. But we added a little something extra that we referred to internally, it's a shit name, called the inbox of love. Only internally. 
And so now when a teammate gets a, a positive feedback, like someone clicks the smiley face, the heart eyes, uh, this little heart goes and then they click it and boom, confetti. And they get to see the nice thing that the person said about them. Now this is, may seem silly to you all, but here's some of the feedback we've received from our customers. They, they said it's silly, but they love it. And this is not just the only one we've heard. We've heard lots of people say this. So developing your opinion is really critical to getting your fit. It helps you focus because you understand what it is you're trying to do. It needs to be authentic to you and different from the way your competition thinks. And taking the time to develop, like investing in developing this is essential to finding your fit because without it, you're just going to be a poor man's version of what already exists in the world. So just to wrap this up, uh, getting and keeping your fit, yeah, it can be the difference between your company thriving and dying, but it's also super vague and it's not a prescription for success. So if nothing else, you walk away from this talk, remember these things. Your fit is not going to be a moat that's going to protect you from a changing market. You need to stay moving. Your focus should be a fit with an, a, a niche of the market. And if, you're trying, if you have your fit and you're trying to expand, you're going to have to reestablish that fit with that other segment. And your opinion is going to be what focuses you and ultimately what, what differentiates you from all the other options that people can choose in the world. And above all, the source of truth for getting and keeping your fit is your customers. So really the most important investment you can make is really getting to know them intimately. So thanks so much. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.